Welcome to Mind Over Matter, where we feature young Jamaicans who are shooting for the stars. Today, we explore the intricate world of the brain, which is the most complex and fascinating organ in the human body. My guest is a 25-year-old neuroscientist. She's a past student of the St. Andrew High School for Girls and the Agnes Scott College in the United States. She's presently pursuing a PhD at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where her research focuses on how the immune system in the brain contributes to the severity of the symptoms seen in patients with neuron de degenerative diseases, such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. She shares her journey, sheds light on her research, and tells us about the latest findings on the workings of the brain. My guest is Jody Webster. Welcome to Mind Over Matter, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, man, and I'm looking forward to this interview, you know, because um, this brain and neuroscience uh, have um, an interest in it. So I'm just looking forward to hear everything that you have to say. <laughs> but first, tell my viewers, what is neuroscience? So neuroscience is simply just the study of the brain. So neuro refers to anything in the brain. You have the neurons, which are the brain cells. And the studying neuroscience is just studying everything that has to do with the brain, whether that's the cells in the brain, the different brain regions, what could be coming into the brain, what's going out of the brain, and especially, um, which is really important to our field, what's happening during disease of the brain. Okay. So how and um, when did this interest in neuroscience start? Good question. So I actually did not think <laughs> that I would end up in this field. I honestly did not really know that pursuing neuroscience was a thing. So um, obviously starting at Andrews, I always had an interest in science. Like I was never into like business and accounting oh. <laughs> and that kind of thing. That was never my thing. It was always science. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to go to college in the States. Um, but I, you know, knowing that I liked science, I was like, okay, I'll just be a doctor. Like I'll do pre-med, mm -hmm. I'll do four years of undergrad and then I'll go to med school. Um, and so during uh, my time at Agnes Scott, I uh, took a class. It was a specific class. It was uh, like molecular biology or mm -hmm. something like that, um, where it had a lab component. And the professor of the class was a, a trained neuroscientist. And she gave us a project in the lab um, that was looking at um, uh, some uh, samples from autism spectrum um mouse like mouse tissue mm -hmm. and I was like oh this is so cool like we get to look at brain tissue we get to look at like an animal's brain um and after that class she actually invited me to do more research with her in the lab and I was like oh this is cool like I didn't even know this was a thing I'm still going yeah. to pursue like pre-med mm -hmm. um but it was an opportunity and I obviously was not going to say no <laughs> Um, so through that experience, I got deeper and deeper into neuroscience. I was finding out things about the brain that blew my mind. Yes. I got to hold a human brain, like physically yes. hold a human brain. <laughs> and I was like, no, this Whoa. is it. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> um, of all the parts of your body that you could study and explore, mm. I'm using my brain to study the brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that was really, really interesting to me. So I, I ended up changing my major from 
biology on a pre-med track um, to neuroscience and decided that I no longer wanted to pursue me <laughs> <laughs> because um, funny enough, the same summer that I started doing research, I also shadowed a doctor. He's also a Jamaican in Atlanta mm-hmm. um, at the hospital there. And I did not <laughs> like it. I did not like it one bit. I almost faint one day. There, it was just too much. <laughs> it was just too much. And I just ha- I had a genuine interest in being in the lab yes. and doing experiments and mm-hmm. seeing what we could find. And if the experiment failed, what can we do different? Just that's that's where my thinking was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's kind of how it started. And then um, decided to go to grad school. Um, I just thought that the the obvious next step was to uh, pursue my PhD um, mm-hmm. to, you know, study more specifically a- another aspect of, of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But take me back to um, St. Andrew High School. Give, tell me about your experience there and, you know, how you, you got to Agnes Scott. Yeah. So. Wow, looking back at it, me and my friends, and I still have the same, it's like the same group of friends from Andrews. Yeah. Um, me and my best friend, we always say, Lord, like we did not realize how good we had it at Andrews. <laughs> like, we wish we could go back. Andrews was the best experience. Um, I was really, really involved. I was senior prefect, um, prefect. I, as I said, I was really interested in all the sciences. I um, was president of the math club, like all these things. Um, and, you know, big up Miss Miss Reed. Um, she was the best principal. But I really think that that Andrews really cultivated this this level of. It's kind of cliche to say, but just being hardworking mm-hmm. and that the sky is the limit. Yeah. Um, my sister who went to Immaculate, she also came to school in the States um and knowing that I wanted to do med at the time um I didn't want to go straight to UE because I didn't think I was ready for med school okay Uh, Mm -hmm. so I uh decided to in sixth form to start studying for the SATs um so I did SATs and I did ACT um which is a a little similar but a very different exam it also has like a science component to it um so I did those two exams um and decided to apply to schools I applied to I don't even know how many schools. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot of schools. I was like, I must at least get into one. <laughs> um, so d- decided to apply to a couple of schools and got into a few. And it was it was a little bit of a struggle because um the schools that I was looking at, you know, it was Agnes Scott and then it was a couple others, and Agnes Scott really stood out to me and my family. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, no, I don't know, because Agnes Scott, it's a very small school. It's all women's. It's liberal arts. And I was like, oh. I'm just coming from Andrews. And <laughs> yes. I need like the full college right. experience. <laughs> <laughs> so me, me and mommy were like, like girls. I was like, no, mommy, I don't want to go there. I can't do it. Um, but my sister, my sister's husband had a friend that went to Agnes Scott. Oh, and, you know, they loved it, had no no bad things to say about it. So I was like, all right, you know what? why not <laughs> let's go they gave me a good scholarship um and I do not regret it one bit I was really happy to be in a small university because mm-hmm. I was able to have that one-on-one 
uh, relationship with my professors and and other students and that's that's eventually how I got you know the research opportunities and mm-hmm. and uh, figured out that I wanted to apply to grad school mm-hmm. but what were some of the challenges that you had at Agnescom because you're gone leave your family friends everybody's yeah. here so tell me a little about that that was rough yeah <laughs> <laughs> That was rough, and and to this day, it's it's still a little hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as I said, I I still kept in contact with all of my friends. We're all still very close, and mm-hmm. it was hard for me alone to be in this big city, to be in Atlanta, and you know, there's there's a good Caribbean scene in Atlanta, mm-hmm. but I I still just didn't feel like it was home. You know, mm-hmm. so I would I would go home. Uh, at least once a year for Christmas or in the summer which really helped Um, but then coming back I was like I know I'm here for a reason I know that I have this great opportunity but Mm -hmm. I'll be honest there were days where it was really really hard and I just mentally was not there because Mm -hmm. I felt so alone and it it was just very hard to to go through but I'm so thankful for my friends I'm thankful for FaceTime Uh, (laughs) I my sister eventually moved to Atlanta she got married here and her and her husband moved to Atlanta so it was so nice to have them Mm -hmm. um in in that space and then now moving to Birmingham, which is really only two hours away from Atlanta it's still it's still nice because I can drive over there um and my mom will fly up and and visit us so mm-hmm. uh, yeah that that helps but it's it's still hard <laughs> yes it's still hard there's so many different things here the food is not the same mm-hmm. the people are not the same <laughs> uh it's just and you know the whole all the politics and the, yes. the current environment it's mm-hmm. it's very taxing it's very mm-hmm. very taxing but i almost use my work, which I know probably isn't good, I almost use my work and my studying as a distraction because mm-hmm. um, I am really grateful for the opportunity that I have here, and I, I just kind of push through. I really don't have a choice. Yeah. So, <laughs> did, did you encounter any sort of discrimination or you know racism that kind of thing? I I did mm-hmm. I did, mm-hmm. um, and it was when I first moved here. Um, I think my first year at Agnes Scott. Uh, it's just you know little comments by by people um other students and I was like what, what is going on yes. <laughs> I have never experienced yeah, you have never experienced that anything, here, so yeah. anything like that you know it's it's something that you know as Jamaicans we don't really experience in Jamaica not saying that there's not racism in Jamaica but you know growing up that was never that was always something you see on the tv like oh it's it's happening all across america it's it's such a big thing and then i come in now with my little self and and people are saying things to me about how i look and the color of my skin and what i must do and what i can't do and i'm just like confused so confused and it it also that also played a part in me um feeling you know alone because I felt like I didn't have anybody who could actually understand or relate to how I was feeling mm-hmm. as a black person who wasn't African-American you know like I I was not born here mm-hmm. so it, it, it was it was rough mm-hmm. at Agnes Scott you received um several awards tell us about I did. that I did um so to go to Agnes Scott I got the founder scholarship 
that uh, paid for a, a good chunk of my tuition, which really, really mm-hmm. helped. Um, and then I think my going into my third year, I got, a, I think it was called the, the Neuroscience DuPont Award, which mm-hmm. basically gave me funding to go to conferences, present the research that I was doing, and also gave me funding to to do the research, to buy reagents mm-hmm. and things for the experiment. Um, and then got a couple um, awards for presenting my research there mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in Let's talk about a little about the neuroscience aspect now. But there, in recent time, there, there, times, there has been a surge in interest in the human brain. What, what, do you, what do you think has led to this, this growing fascination? Then, with yeah, the yeah, I think there's there's two sides of it. Um, one is I think that the field has always been interested in how we think, mm-hmm. and it's it's not like another part of the body where you're able to kind of preserve the tissue, like for example, after somebody passes or or kind of get that tissue while somebody is sick. You cannot live without your brain. So it's mm-hmm. so hard to study it and see what's going on as a person ages. And then the other part of it is diseases of the brain are the most or one of the most detrimental things that happens. Mm-hmm. And you know, while you have a disease in the brain, you kind of have other things going on in the body. But a lot of the times, uh, for example, uh, in my field where I study Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, you have the death of the neurons in these very specific brain regions and they cause you to have memory loss. They cause you to not be able to make executive functions. They cause you to not be able to walk and have tremors and that kind of thing. And it's it's just detrimental to to the quality of life in general. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely been a, a, a growing um, interest in in the field of science in general Mm -hmm. to to study neuroscience there's even there's a lot of overlap I think with other fields for example like what I do I look at the immune system and then I look at the brain there's people that look at the cardiovascular system and the brain you know different things the brain is always involved (laughs) yeah and I think too um there's there's been an awareness to um about mental health Yes. So it seems as yes. if you know that kind of persons no want to, to to find out more about the brain mm-hmm. and how it works. Um all right. So advances in technology has allowed for new techniques for studying the brain. Could you tell us a little about that? And what yes. are some of the latest findings in neuroscience? Good question. So in terms of technology, there's so much that we can do now, so much. Um, one of my favorites, we haven't started doing it in our lab yet, but we've seen a lot of people moving towards it and we're excited to eventually move towards it is um, sequencing. So RNA sequencing of the brain tissue, where you can just take a sample of the tissue and you can sort all the cells in that brain region. And that's really important Mm -hmm. because you're able to see, okay, if I have a healthy brain and I have a diseased brain, what genetic factors, what genetic expressions are increased or decreased in in those two different um, uh, brains. That's so, so important. I mean, we've always had, um, you know, brain imaging, and that's just been getting more and more advanced. There's so many uh, biomarkers that you can use to image Mm. our brains right now. Um, You know, before we were talking about, you know, are there things that we could do to see if, if I could develop Alzheimer's in the future, or if I could, you know, have this disease. 
one of the bigger things in the field is developing biomarkers and using those biomarkers while people are still alive and alive. Help, can help to predict <laughs> yeah. whether or not they'll they'll have those diseases it's so important um and then the second question i forgot sorry so yeah tell you i was um <laughs> what are the latest findings mm. um that changes what we usually think about or what we thought mm-hmm. about the brain yeah, good question. And I might be a little biased because I'll talk about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where my research is going. Yeah. But, so I think one of the, the latest and a very important finding is the aspect of immune privilege. And when I say immune privilege, I talk about this is just something that has developed over time where certain parts of the body can protect against an immune response, like Mm -hmm. the damaging effects of an immune response. Mm -hmm. And before it was thought that the brain, um, as well as, you know, the eyes and other parts of the body are immune privileged. So that means like they wouldn't have any damaging response Mm -hmm. um, by the immune system. But there has been so much evidence, especially in diseases, that the brain does have this immune response. And, you know, that's what I studied, neuroinflammation, mm-hmm. where in response to uh, viruses, in response to pathogens, you know, abnormal proteins, the brain, one, has its own immune cells oh. um, and it has the ability to allow for um, immune cells that are, you know, circulating in the body to actually enter the brain. And that can either be good or bad. Right. You know, you need the immune system to fight right. mm-hmm. and clear, clear these things. But also, if you have that constant immune response, then that can be detrimental to the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's actually been studies and especially things that we do in our lab to show that this prolonged immune response can actually contribute to killing the brain cells Mm -hmm. and to progressing disease. And the the field of neuroinflammation has blown up with that mm-hmm. <laughs> recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's really important to move away from saying that the brain is immune privileged mm-hmm. to saying that it could be selectively um, privileged, but there's definitely a role that the immune system is playing mm-hmm. in the brain. Okay. And that is a part of your research. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your research will lead to treatments. I or... hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. We've we've definitely found some very interesting results. Mm-hmm. And you know, the goal is to eventually use those results and the mechanisms that we're finding that the immune system is affecting these diseases to lead to potential therapeutic options. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've had an um I don't know how we'll answer this question, but we've had <laughs> Um, we have been taught certain things, you know, way back in the day about the brain. So mm-hmm. I'm going to run um, a few of them and then you tell me whether or not <laughs> this is true or false. Oh, God. Okay. okay. I, hope, I hope I can answer it correctly. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Uh, we, use, we hear this all the time. We only use 10% of our brains. Is that true? Is that of our brain. <laughs> um, I would say... And I hope other neuroscientists. <laughs> I would say that's a myth. I would say it's very. It is definitely likely that we don't use a hundred percent of our brains, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's this thing that Albert Einstein used twenty percent or yes. whatever percent of his brain. 
um, we don't use more of our, a lot of our brains. And as we grow older, we're able to, you know, through plasticity and things like that, able to increase um, that usage. But yeah, I don't know if it's 10% or if it's 12% <laughs> or what it is, but yeah. We that's use a I lot more. Okay. <laughs> All right. The right brain, if you are, um, if you are more creative and the left, um, the I guess for decision making and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. is that is that true that you you can be right right brained or left brained? Um, I don't think so. Mm. I think there might be some truth to that. And mm. again, this goes back to the issue of how will we know? <laughs> how will we know? Um, I I I think there could be some truth to that, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Kind of iffy. Kind of iffy. Yeah, kind of iffy. Because you do have parts of different parts of like either your left or your right side right. have the same function and you know so different genders have different brain brains meaning you can look at it and decide whether it's male or female <laughs> that's that's a good one I don't know if there's any, I don't know if there's actually any evidence for that you know right. <laughs> I do know that depending on you know if you're a male or a female mm-hmm. that there are certain parts of your brain that develop at different rates oh, um okay. you know that has to do with hormones and all that stuff mm-hmm. but I don't know I don't I don't think there is like <laughs> a telling factor right <laughs> okay um I've heard that um you're born with a certain amount of neurons and mm-hmm. you some will die you know but you won't get new ones is that so um I want to say yes. You you won't necessarily get new neurons, mm-hmm. but over time you will always get new like connections between your neurons. Okay. So you always get new synapses, which is what the connection is called. Oh. Um, and that's where the concept of like neuroplasticity comes in, where mm-hmm. you're constantly forming these new connections in your brain and and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So that one I'll say, yeah. Oh, okay. so, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so a little about the, the complexity of the brain. Why is it so difficult to understand how the brain works? Yeah, that's that's a big question. I mean, one, it's a huge organ. It might it might look not look as big in our heads, mm-hmm. but it is a big, complex organ. Like if you look at the breakdown of the different parts of the brain. I don't, I don't even know like the number. There's probably hundreds mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of different parts of the brain. And within those different parts of the brain, there are different types of neurons and there's different functions. And, you know, as I mentioned before, it's hard to study that mm-hmm. when humans need it to survive. You know, you can't take out somebody's brain and study it and then get them back. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that adds to the complexity of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're we're trying our best, which is why it's it's really good that you know in science we're able to use animal models. So, for example, I work with mice, who mm-hmm. you know obviously we don't have the same brain as a right. mouse, but there are very um Some similar things. There there are similarities in mm-hmm. you know the parts of the brain that they have, and then the functions that those parts of the brain have um with humans. So mm-hmm. we're able to study that so there, there's a lot more that we know now about the brain that we did before because of animal models but I don't think we'll ever get to know everything honestly <laughs> so um saying that then when it comes to artificial intelligence uh, mm-hmm. what extent then will it be possible 
for AI to replicate the the functionality and um of the human brain because we hear that every day that I think is that is that possibly I think I think it's already happening (laughs) as as scary as it seems I think it's already happening Mm -hmm. you know like even over the weekend I see um you know some AI generated images that I even had to like second guess. I'm like, oh wait, that's not really. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there's there's different software now, um, mm-hmm. like Chat GPT, which is a full AI generated software where you can yeah. give it any prompt and it will just reel it off to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I do think it's happening. Like the computer scientists and engineers have have really gone a long way in developing and and um making AI more efficient. And I think mm-hmm. we're finally at that point, that like futuristic point mm-hmm. where AI can literally replace our our brains and, and what we do as humans. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exciting future. <laughs> Exciting, <laughs> scary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, maybe I won't be here to experience all of that. <laughs> I'll leave you to it now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so I have here now in terms of your research, why did you choose the Parkinson and Alzheimer's to concentrate on? Yeah. So um interestingly, I didn't think that I would end up studying um Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, you know, neurodegenerative diseases. Because when I started research, I actually studied neurodevelopmental diseases. So more like autism spectrum disorders, Rett syndrome, things like that. And I was really interested in it because mm. on that side of things, they're, they're a little bit more weird. And you're studying, um, you're studying what happens when the brain doesn't develop properly. Mm. So from, mm. from birth, you know, and, and how that can uh, manifest into uh, these diseases over the period of your life. Um, it was actually my interest in inflammation in the brain that kind of bridged me to the neurodegenerative side. So I, mm-hmm. for my senior thesis in college, I started looking at neuroinflammation in these autism spectrum models. Um, and then when I got to UAB, I, you know, when you start in the, the PhD program, you kind of rotate in labs. So you kind of mm-hmm. do a couple of weeks to see if, you know, you like the lab, if you like the project and, the lab that I chose, the lab that I'm in now, they did neuroinflammation, but they did it in Parkinson's disease. And Parkinson's I, I had heard of, but <clears> it's, <throat> it wasn't as, I want to say it wasn't as uh, popular, mm-hmm. like at least to me as Alzheimer's was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's it's a disease of the brain where you still get that loss of neurons, but it's in a completely different brain region. You know, it does affect cognition and memory like Alzheimer's does, but it also affects your motor symptoms, mm-hmm. which makes it really difficult for patients. Um, and I, I just was really, really interested in it. And especially the fact that whatever we find in Parkinson's, um, especially with what my project is looking at, we can also translate it to Alzheimer's and a lot of these other neurodegenerative diseases. Mm-hmm. So I liked that translational aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in a field, though, that is um, that is historically dominated by white uh, males. What are some of the biggest challenges you face as a female in this field? Yeah. Um, so before I even answer that, I want to say that I have been so lucky mm. to be mentored by 
female scientists all mm-hmm. throughout my my research journey like undergrad strong mm-hmm. female pi um you know head of the lab and now my lab it's like all of all four of the grad students in our lab are females and our mm-hmm. <laughs> our pi is a female um i think the biggest part of it was my own like feelings towards it so a little bit of imposter syndrome like mm-hmm. okay i i I am surrounded by by women, right? And I'm working with women. But when we get out of that little bubble and I go to conferences and I go to other people's labs, it's all males. Yes. Like, like what am I doing here? And especially I'm black and I'm Jamaican. Yes. I'm not from here. <laughs> what am I doing here? Like I felt like somebody was going to call me out and be like, oh hello. Yeah. <laughs> what are you here? <laughs> um, but I do think that having the the support of other women scientists mm-hmm. other strong women scientists like I have um really really helped me to kind of not completely shut off those thoughts but mm-hmm. to <laughs> to kind of come back to myself and be like like why not you yes. you should be here if anything right. you deserve to be here so that you can show other people who look mm-hmm. like you and want to get to that point that it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. just keep your head down and do what you need to do that mm-hmm. that that's it Okay. Um, how do you maintain a good work-life balance? Is it all science and in a lab or you, you, you do fun things? I don't know. I do. I do fun things. It was, it was a very important thing for me when I was rotating and finding the lab that I wanted for mm-hmm. me to be in a lab where that was valued and to be working with people that also valued our work-life balance. Because leave it to me, I will be in the lab 24-7, <laughs> and I just come home, go to sleep, and go back to the lab. Back. <laughs> but my my boss and, you know, my colleagues, we actually push each other to be like, are you feeling okay? How are you doing mentally this week? Do you need time off? Um, That kind of thing. Um, And so that has been really important to me because I feel like when I need time to re- reset, Mm. I'm able to take the time and reset so I you know I go to the gym I take cycling classes um mm. I like to hike a lot I like to be outside um doing creative things like playing computer games just like <laughs> random things like that um but I I do really I really value having a very good work-life balance okay. I don't want to be burnt out it doesn't help <laughs> anybody when you burnt out right all right. So um what's next for you? Um you think it'll be academia? I don't know. <laughs> Boy, I wish I had the answer to that question. <laughs> I wish I had the answer. So I am at the end of my third year now. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I I'll be honest, I don't know if I see myself in academia. Like I don't mm-hmm. know if I see myself having my own lab um and doing and teaching I don't know if that's my passion I do know that I'm really interested in translational research so mm-hmm. I've been working with animal models this whole time and I do want to work with human subjects and human patients and work work closely with clinicians oh, um and, and potential therapeutics so whether there's a spot for that in academia I don't know mm-hmm. I have been looking into um industry um positions that could potentially um you know be able to have something like that or whether that's working for you know biotech company and 
things like I'm, I'm still exploring there's apparently <laughs> so much you can do with a PhD in neuroscience and <laughs> I don't know yeah. the, the half of it so um yeah I'm, I'm just trying to figure out you know what my actual passion is because mm-hmm. this will be the first time that I won't be in school mm-hmm. I've been in school consistently <laughs> like all this time so I, I really need to figure out like where do I see myself career-wise yeah. um and it's nice because getting a PhD, you do get a lot of these skills, these amazing skills that can be translatable anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to make sure that I <laughs> that I actually have a passion for what I do. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out, though, Jodi. I'm sure about that. Um, <laughs> so what advice do you have to leave, though, for women who, you know, aspire to enter your field? And who might be discouraged by, you know, the lack of representation? Yeah, I guess my biggest piece of advice would be to not be afraid to reach out to people that you see in that position that look like you, that have the same passions as you, that might have been in the same position that you are in now. I think that one of the, that might have been one of the strengths in me getting a lot of the opportunities is that I'm not afraid to call email anybody. I literally <laughs> people that are in positions that I want or in labs okay. that I want. I email, I say, hi, I'm Jody. I'm so-and-so. I'm interested in so-and-so. I think that, you know, we could work well together. That kind of thing. I want to learn more about so-and-so. You know, just things like that. Mm-hmm. Really value that. And that's how you end up networking. And that's how you end up meeting people and meeting potential mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there. You, I don't want to say you can't just sit down and expect it to happen. Yeah, <laughs> there well, you can't, you can't. And there is value in in creating a network, mm-hmm. intentionally creating a network of people that, because people want to help. I I love speaking to people about um where I am and 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 how I got here because it was people that helped me, people in the mm-hmm. position. I reached out to and that saw that I was trying to reach out to them and trying to get to where they are that helped me and I don't think that I, I could have gotten here without their help mm-hmm. yeah. so you want you want to um thank any of those persons of course oh, this, this <laughs> so long. I don't know if we have time <laughs> no okay so obviously my undergrad PI, Dr. Jennifer Larimore, she's the one who made me realize that I had, you know, this interest in neuroscience, this interest in research in general. Mm-hmm. Current PI, Dr. Ashley Harms, who has been invaluable in my training, has been so supportive and just the best mentor that I could have asked for. Um, you know, my my fellow grad students in the lab, uh, my family, my sister, who is just always there. Um, my mom, my auntie Odette, um, my best friend Garcia, who, you know, is still in Jamaica. We went to Andrews together and we talk every single day and we've been helping each other through, you know, going through our 20s and going through. She did med school and doing grad school. It's, you know, I think it's just nice to have that community that I've built of of you know friends family mentors acquaintances who continuously look out for me and you know have have helped to keep me on the right track even though I might get sad <laughs> home sometimes and might think that I won't can't do it I'm a <laughs> it's just 
I, I feel really, really blessed to, to have those people. Yeah, man. It was great talking to you, though, Jody. I really, really, really enjoyed this interview. And um, I must wish you all the best with your research. And, you know, and especially, you know, coming up with some treatment for for Alzheimer's. <laughs> Since I seem to be heading down that <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> listen, listen. That's the goal. That's the goal. I hope I can. You will be fine. <laughs> But it was great talking to you, man. And thanks again. Thank you so much. Take care. <laughs>